uh, I don't know whose pencil this is, but I'm going to put that right there for you. Um, cool. Well, thankful to be back worshiping all with you guys this morning. Uh, everybody have a good Labor Day? Yeah. Somewhat. <laughs> one person. Whew, one person must have had a great time. Um, but I know my wife and I had a great Labor Day. We were able to spend some time together. Hopefully you guys had some time with family. Hopefully you had some time just eating some good food or uh, maybe watching some good college football. Any college football fans in the room? Yeah. Okay, so we've got more college football fans than Labor Day fans. Cool. Um, but my wife and I had a great time digging our toes in the sand, watched a bunch of college football, uh, celebrated our fourth anniversary. So there's, yeah, woof. There's a miracle that that woman has stayed married to me for four years. So I am a mess. You'll get to know me, and it's true. Um, but we did a little fantasy football drafts, but we had a great time, but uh, we missed you guys a ton, so we're thankful to be back with you guys this morning. So as you've already taken a seat, if you want to go ahead and be taking out your Bibles or opening up your smartphones, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, yeah, we've got it on the screens right here for you, uh, verses 11 through 21 uh, in our time together this morning. So um, as we're talking about our text this morning, um, man, I'm just excited to be here. Um, We're finishing a three-part series just as we're getting to know each other. Um, Hopefully, if you guys have been here for the past couple weeks or you haven't been here, um, you just have started to understand who we are in this uh, almost like dating phase of one another to see if the Lord is calling you to be a part of the Branch Church Millersville here to see uh, what he is doing through his church. So uh, we've entitled our sermon series, Who He Is and Who We Are, for a very specific reason. Uh, so everything that we are, everything that we will strive to be as the Branch Church Milledgeville has to be derived from first who God says that he is. And out of light of that, it's who we are. So the only thing that we do here at the Branch is we stand on Scripture. Uh, that's our only authority for me as a pastor. We're going to be doing everything from leadership development to missional communities that you guys will hear about that we'll be launching in two weeks to everything comes from scripture because that's our only authority. Uh, So as we are talking about the Branch Church, um, kind of if we wanted to combine everything that we believe scripture says about God, about who he is and who we are, we tried to distill it down to one sentence. Uh, And that one sentence, I think we'll throw it up on the screen here, is this. We exist by God's glory for God's glory to make disciples equipping them to know, believe, and obey Jesus as a gospel-centered community living on mission. Yes, we know that's a run-on sentence. So that is a lot to take in, uh, but if we were to try to distill down Scripture what we believe God's calling us to be as the Branch Church, uh, it would be that. So we know that's a lot to probably try to take in and digest. So while we have these banners on the wall here behind me, uh, it's, it's a little bit more simplified version. Uh, something we believe here deeply is that the gospel is pretty simple. It's we're called because of what Christ did for us to love him and to love others. So Gabe Dodd, our lead pastor in Dahlonega, if you guys didn't know, we're part of a church planting network. So there's the Branch Church Dahlonega that's meeting right now in Dahlonega. Um, our member one Sunday was super powerful that he had his oldest daughter, Auburn, uh, I think she was a four or five at the time, come up and how we do a welcome here, how Bailey did for us this morning. Auburn came up with him and she's like this tall and he hands her the microphone and she can repeat this from memory uh, that Jesus is everything, your story matters and people matter. And we think that's, that's awesome that what we try to strive to be as a church is so simplistic that even a child can remember it. 
So that's half of us in the room this morning. That's half of us, or maybe we look at this and we'll remember this. Uh, some of you guys, I'm looking at your faces right now, like your eyes are glossing over. You're like, that is a lot to try to digest. I'm not gonna remember that as I walk out of this room. Uh, take a deep breath, you're in good company. So, um, so the other half of us in this room maybe are more creatives and we're not really word smart like the Lord has equipped me to be. Maybe you're a little bit more like my wife who sees everything in pictures and colors. Uh, so maybe as we're talking about this this morning, a visualization will help you guys understand who we're trying to be. Um, so as Bailey, Tyler, and I were talking about this sermon series of explaining who the Branch Church is, uh, this image, this visual of a stained glass window kept coming up over and over and over because we think it's a beautiful depiction of who we're trying to be. So in this three-week series, what we've done is we've kind of mashed up that branch in one sentence in these banners behind us and just kind of came up with three bite-sized sentences trying to explain who we are. So if you remember all the way back to three weeks ago when we started this, uh, week one, I think we have that graphic up there. Uh, what we talked about is when you know that Jesus is everything, you live gospel-centered. So if we're thinking about this in terms of the stained glass, so stained glass are broken shards of glass that have no purpose whatsoever apart from being bound together by something even more powerful than them. So we, as before we're brought into the family of Christ, are broken shards that have no real meaning or no purpose that we're going against Christ, and Christ is that strong metal that binds us together. So as we, as the Branch Church, as, in, as individuals, when we know that Jesus is everything to us, the only thing that binds us together, we can't help but be gospel-centered. So last week, the sentence that we talked about as we continued in our sermon series, Tyler did an amazing job teaching for us, just talking about community. And I remember when I said it when I left, like, he is one of the most joyful people who will ever meet. And listening to the podcast, like, I can just feel like he's constantly smiling as he's teaching. Um, and he did an amazing job teaching for us uh, on this next sentence here, week two, is this, is when you believe that your story matters, you live in community. So like the stained glass, as we, though we don't have real purpose as broken shards by ourselves as individuals, but collectively when Christ binds us together in community, that it gives us a story that is worth living in light of the best story ever told, and that's the story of the cross. So for us, as we are the branch church, what we're striving to be is that community that's bound together by Christ, and we believe that our stories now matter because we're redeemed ones of the Son of God and that he calls us to live that story together in community. So it's why we gather on Sunday mornings. It's why we'll do missional communities here launching in two weeks. It's why we'll do DNAs that launch two weeks after that because the best place for that to be lived out is in community. So as we wrap up our sermon series on who we are this week, this last bite-sized sentence that what we want to digest this morning is this. When people matter, you obey the command to live on mission. When people matter, you obey the command to live on mission. We believe because of we look at Genesis and we stand on that authority that we are all made in the image and likeness of God in the Imago Day. so we have an inherent worth. People just matter. So we obey the Scripture's command to live on mission. So maybe this image of the stained glass might help you to understand that that stained glass that was broken and sharded and it was brought together by Christ that was not encumbered by our jagged edges, but he brought us together for a purpose. Stained glass is made for a purpose so that way that light may shine through that stained glass and that those that are outside may perceive that beauty of the master craftsmanship and workmanship of 
the Creator. For us as the branch church, for us as individuals, it is our longing, it has got to be our heart cry that because people matter, that Christ has bound us together now as a community so that way his light may shine through us and that it would terminate on those that are outside the body of Christ, that they will be drawn to the beauty and the master workmanship and craftsmanship of the Father. And these are who we exist to be. So uh, you guys are already there in 2 Corinthians 5. We, like we said at the outset of this, we don't believe these things because we think they're cool or hip, um, things of how to do church. We don't call this just a Sunday gathering because it sounds a cool thing to say besides Sunday service. Uh, We don't say that we go to church or that we are the church rather than go to church because it sounds cool. Uh, We try to derive everything from Scripture. So uh, this morning, let's look together at 2 Corinthians and see that we believe deeply that this text is a perfect depiction of that sentence, that when people matter, we obey the command, specifically of this text, to live on mission. So we'll read this together, pray, and we'll jump in. 2 Corinthians 5, picking up in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's the only truth that we have to step on this morning. The only thing I have to stand on here, the only thing that I have to offer to your church this morning is your truth and your word. So Father, as this text may become something that you've convicted me this week of being numb to, I pray that we would have our eyes fresh on this text, that our eyes would be alive and our hearts would be alive to the truths that you want to call us into this morning. So, Father, if you would have us be rebuked, would we be rebuked in love, and would we be encouraged and equipped to go out to live on mission? It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
So giving a little bit of context around this text that we just read. Uh, so the, the letter of Corinthians was written by Paul and Timothy to a church that they planted in Corinth. So it's in the Macedonian province. So they pastored this church for about a year and a half and they raised up leaders so that way they could leave and go and plant other churches. Uh, it sounds a lot like what we're trying to do here. Um, the only reason it's unheard of that a three week old church plant would be able to have the lead pastor to be able to step out and for everything to run as smoothly as it did. And so that's a huge testament uh, to our team and how well they lead. I don't know if you guys know this, we have eight other leaders on our leadership team besides myself. So if you're on our leadership team, would you guys just raise your hand really quick? So Tyler, we got interns, we got apprentice, a lot of people in the tech booth here. Uh, they hate when I call them out, but they are amazing. So uh, I think a bigger testament not taken away from anything from them, like thank you guys for allowing me to love my wife well and, and go and spend time with her, but it says that this church is not built around me. This church is not even built around our leadership team, but we truly believe that Jesus is everything. So if we're not here, the gospel is going to be proclaimed. If we're not here, God's still going to be magnified. So um, all of that to say, getting back into the text here, is all that sounds great, uh, but that was not happening in Corinth. In fact, the leaders that, that Paul raised up were not doing a good job at all. In fact, they, they were backbiting and they were talking bad about Paul attacking his character. So you can feel a little bit of that tension about how he's having to defend himself in the beginning of the text here. Um, so that's the context that Paul is writing into here, is this is written to Christians. So for us in this room this morning, um, we have got to talk about something before we start really pulling out truth of this text. The truth of the matter is that in this room, for half of us in this room maybe, this text is gonna apply directly to us, and for maybe half of us in this room, it will not. Uh, and what I'm trying to say is that some of us in this room have already trusted Christ in complete surrender that is nothing to do with us but only his finished work on the cross, that his blood was poured out for us, and on that is our only hope. But then in the room, also, we're not naive enough not to believe that some of you guys may not know where you stand on this whole Jesus thing. Um, some of you guys may be saying, well, I, I don't even know why I'm necessarily here. Maybe a friend invited me. Um, I don't know what some guy dying 2,000 years ago on a hill has to do with me and my eternity. And I would encourage you to take a deep breath and relax. You're in good company because some of the faces I'm looking at right now were sitting in the same seat you were sitting in just a few months ago, and Christ saved them. Um, so know that this morning it could get a little bit awkward because what we're going to be talking about and encouraging the Christians in this room to do is to live their life in a way to seek you out if you're not in Christ. Um, but then there's that whole other half of that that maybe that you would say that, well, I understand what you're talking about when you use words of reconciliation. I would call myself a Christian, uh, that I, I went to church, that uh, I read my Bible, that my parents made me go. Um, you would say that you're a Christian, but it's our prayer as we're praying that God will save those that are far from him in this room. It's our prayer that God would save you out of nearness, and this nearness is this lie of cultural Christianity, this lie that you have begun to trust in yourself for salvation and not trust in the finished work of the cross. If your salvation, if someone asks you why you're a Christian, if everything is coming out of your mouth is about what you have done or what you do, and it's not solely what Christ has done, it's our prayer this morning that Christ would save you out of that because that's also not the gospel. So you can see before we dive into the text this morning, um, things could get a little fun. So we just had to kind of set that groundwork. So you guys ready to get into this? Cool. 
Yeah, it might be the longest intro ever in the history of intros for a pastor. So, um, but let's do this. So picking up in verse 11, therefore. So anytime you see therefore, you study scripture, make sure you look back maybe a verse or two before because the author is making an argument. He is saying, because of what I just said, I'm about to say something. So what we've got to see here is what Paul is saying in verse 10. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So for us in this room, everyone in this room has an eternity set before them. Every one of us in this room, whether we are completely trusted in Christ or not, will stand before the judgment throne of God one day that in Ecclesiastes 3.17, that the Lord says that he has put into the heart of man eternity, that we all know that we are going to have an eternity one day and that we are fighting our daily lives here to figure out what this life means in light of eternity. And we as Christians, when Paul uses that phrase, knowing the fear of the Lord in verse 11, he says, we know this. We know that Revelation 20 is going to happen one day, a great white throne judgment where the Lord will either say, because you are covered by the blood's of my son for you depending on his righteousness you will enter into eternity or if it's not you will enter into eternity apart from him and that should well up fear in our hearts as Christians because what we are doing every single day of our lives are looking people in the eyes that will have eternity at stake so we must persuade others. When we sang that song, I didn't even know we were going to be singing this first song that we sang, that we are the hope of the world, that Christ is using us, and we must persuade others. Now, I think we've all heard this in church before. Um, how many of you guys in this room have Matthew 28, 19 through 20 just memorized? Anyone not too ashamed? A couple hands. I know Madeline does. <laughs> She's fantastic Bible memorization. But maybe if you've been part of the church, or maybe if you haven't really been a part of the church, you may even know this first. We'll throw it up on the screens here for you. It's the Great Commission. I think many of us are familiar with this, is to go, therefore, and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have it memorized. We sew it on pillows, we put it on Instagram stories, we put it on coffee mugs, and the truth of the matter is that we have become desensitized to this call to making disciples. We've become desensitized to the call as Christians to go and persuade others. Have we not? Because the truth of the matter, if we were to take a poll in here, if we were to be asked, have we made a disciple, or we been asked as we are going, are we talking about Christ, are we persuading others? many of us would be ashamed and say no. Because Hudson Taylor has a great quote on this um, that we'll throw here on the screen as well. He says this, he says, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it is a command to be obeyed. But so many of us just want to memorize that and not actually live a life that is actually persuading other people. James 4.17 has a lot to say about this. We'll put it, yeah, we've got it here on the screen for us. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let that sink over you. Let that just wash over you. Because the truth of the matter is that if we know the Great Commission, that we're called to persuade others, if people truly matter, if they have eternal destination at stake, 
but we just memorize the Great Commission and we do nothing with it? It's sin. God is telling us and calling us to live lives that are poured out for the gospel. So as the branch church, we are going to live this. There's a reason why we say that this is only, as a Sunday gathering, only a fourth of what we do. Because living life on mission can't happen when we're gathered as a bunch of believers. The people that we're called to live on mission for are outside these four walls. And the Lord has just destroyed me this week with this because the truth of the matter is that's what the verse he used to convict my heart, that I, as your pastor, was not living on mission. And I was okay with just memorizing it and talking about it. So what our remedy for this as the branch church are missional communities. So we launch missional communities in two weeks. Uh, when you leave here, we've got sign-up sheets on the connection table at the back. If you're looking for a place to belong, or looking for a place to be loved on, a place for family, but you're looking for a place to serve those around you, man, a missional community is for you. Please, I love to talk to you about what they look like. So please take the time to go and look and check those out. Because here's the truth of the matter is, um, for some of us in this room, if we're not in Christ, what does this have to do with you? It has everything to do with you because the truth of the matter is we as the church need your forgiveness because I would venture to say that not many of you, if you're not in Christ, would be able to say that I have people that are constantly trying to persuade me to believe in Christ. That I have people that are always, every time I see that guy, every time I see that girl, I know they're gonna talk to me about Jesus. If you're not in Christ this morning, we, we need your forgiveness because the truth of the matter is we are in sin as the church if we are not doing this. So Jonathan this week, one of our interns, um, I think it was actually last week, uh, showed me this great quote by, um, I think we'll put it up on the screen here too, yeah, Penn Jillette. Um, he's a magician, right, I think? Atheist. Atheist magician? He's a magic? Oh, or no. Um, <laughs> So I'm pretty sure I looked up, could be a magic atheist too. Not saying that you can't be a Christian and be magic, but um, he says this. He says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That word is to evangelize or to share the gospel. Uh, I don't respect them at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling this because it can make it socially awkward, how much more do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and to not tell them. And those are strong words and they should be. That everlasting life is possible and we don't share. But the truth of the matter is as the church, we don't do this out of fear-based motivation. We do this because of what Christ first did for us. If we remember that stained glass, he reconciled us first. So out of that overflow, we, we do it out of a genuine heart. So as we keep diving into the text, we see that's the truth that Paul is arguing here, that this has got to be done out of a genuine heart. So picking up in the verse, the tail end of verse 11. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So exactly what we just talked about, that this has got to be done from a genuine heart, that the people who were criticizing Paul were saying that what he was doing was out of a selfish ambition, that he was just trying to either gain money for himself or fame or reputation. So Paul's having to defend himself and say, no, what, like what we are is known to God. So for us in this room this morning is 
what we are is known to God. What our heart motives are for sharing the gospel, for living life on mission is known to God. And I would reckon to say that most of us in this room, the reason why we don't share the gospel, the reason why we don't persuade others uh, is not because we don't think it's important. I would venture to say the reason why we do this has more to do with that we are still caught up maybe in even understanding who God is and what the gospel means to us, and we're getting caught up in these pet sins that so easily entangle us that we're, we're falling prey to a trap of the enemy to get so focused, insular, that we miss out on the whole bigger picture of what Christ is doing through the body of Christ, what he's doing through us as a people, through us as the church. We get so caught up on that, but we, we can't even look at anybody else. But then, um, as I was thinking through that, sometimes I think I give us too much of a break because the truth is we know the truth and yet we're not living it out um, because there's a great quote that kind of epitomizes this. Um, there's one that, I, uh, that Bailey shared with me even last night that's just had me up last night thinking about um, it's from David Platt, and I know we don't have it this morning, but he says that you can't manufacture a heart for missions. You can't. And the reason why you can't, you can't say, I can just do this, I need to serve people. And obviously this is not out of just out of social justice, we need to help and love people. But the reason why we can't manufacture that is if we're in Christ or as the branch church is because John 15, 5 says that, when we abide in him and he abides in us, we bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So apart from Christ, we can't even do this. Spurgeon would say it this way. I know we have this quote up here, is that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That one's pretty tough, right? And that doesn't mean you have to be a missionary going to a foreign country and serving. doesn't mean you have to be a missionary and serving um, in any other context besides where the Lord has put you. So uh, a phrase we use around here is bloom where you're planted. So the Lord has you here at Georgia College if you're a Georgia College student. If you're a family, the Lord has placed you here in Baldwin County for a reason. The Lord has put you in those relationships that you are in for a reason because you are called to be the light of Christ and let the light of Christ shine through you to those that you are in your everyday life. And you can do that. You have a body of believers that were come around you and help you do that. We as the Branch Church long for the day that mission takes place through missional communities all throughout the week and we hear stories of great wind stories of how you've shared the gospel and people have come to know Christ but then also stories of fail stories about how you just got completely shut down and we can come around and encourage you and then we come here as the Branch Church on Sundays to celebrate what the Lord is doing all throughout the week. That is what we're here for. And like we just, it's the same truth that Paul's just driving in over and over and over again that we're to persuade others to live on mission because people matter. But my encouragement to you, if you're a Christ follower, if you're not doing it now, if you're feeling convicted, uh, my, that's not the goal because that's not Christ's goal. Yes, it is to call you out of disobedience, but also to encourage you why you can do it um, and why you can do it and the motivation and the heart set is John 15 to abide in him. But Paul also says this in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. He says, To do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So our motivation is when we look to the interest of others that we care more about them 
than we care about ourselves. And that's tough because we are taught in our culture that ultimately our affections are to terminate on us. That what we want, what we desire is paramount. So we're going completely against the grain of our surrounding culture in this. That's why Paul, as we keep going, says this in verse 13. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for the sake died and was raised. So that beginning part of that phrase, verse 13, is if we are beside ourselves. So Paul's saying that the way that they lived on mission made people feel like they were a little crazy. (laughs) Can we genuinely say that the way that we talk about Christ, the way that we portray Christ, makes us seem a little out out of sorts to the world? Because we love him so much and know what he's done that we have got to look at the world and realize that there are hurting and broken people that they need the gospel. They need for us to share with them. We should look a little bit outside of our mind. And the reason ultimately why I believe we don't do this, um, as I was just sitting, this is the part as I was just studying this week that really got me. I was asking the question to myself, why do I not do this? Why do I not live on mission? Why do I not make it a priority? If my whole job allows me to pastor a flock, why am I not doing this? And I ran across this quote from, if I can speak, quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The reason, ultimately, I can give us all the excuses in the book, maybe we don't feel equipped, maybe evangelism is for an evangelist, maybe discipleship's a class, maybe we need to equip people more, but ultimately the reason why I would argue that I believe that Christ is saying to us that we just read in this text is because when Christ calls us and knits us together into a community, he bids us to come and die, and it's to die to ourself, to die to our self-interest, to die to our wants, to die to everything besides what Christ wants for us. That's why he says that um, as one died for all, that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for him who raised us. So we live for Christ. And he is calling us into this ministry that he started, this ministry of reconciliation. Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That That is his answer to the Pharisees when they ask, why are you here? He says that he has come to reclaim back what was broken in the fall in Genesis 3, that when sin entered into the world, that we were broken and frayed from the Father. So if we as the branch church are not doing this, if we're trying to live in individually and say that my relationship with the Lord is about me and I can come in on a Sunday gathering or I can just maybe talk to it about my friends every once in a while, but we're not doing this because together we're not obeying scripture because we are now one with Christ. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not us individually, but us collectively that shine the light to the world because the truth of the matter is if you're not in Christ this morning in this room, 
the only thing that's truly going to change your mind is someone that has skin in the game, a collective group of people that are coming to you and that are not stopping and saying that I love you because simply you matter. Even if you don't accept Christ, you matter. I love you. I'm going to serve you in the best way I know how. We have got to do this together. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. He says, for it is no longer I that live, but that Christ that lives in me. So for us as individuals, if we are in Christ this morning, we have got to write our mentality, our mentality of this individualistic, of self-seeking, of self-pleasure, of self-enjoyment. It's got to be focused on the greatest pleasure and joy that you will ever have, and that is Christ. He should be your sole joy, your sole satisfaction, and that is best experienced within the body of Christ. It's best experienced as we worship him as one for what he did for us. So let's keep going here as we're wrapping in and we're trying to see if this sentence truly makes sense that when people matter, we obey the call to live on mission. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's just what we talked about. We're one with him, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Don't miss this. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God is doing all of this, all of what we just talked about. Paul is making the same point over and over and over. Every time we stop, I don't know if you notice, Paul's just hammering in the same point over and over and over. That is up to us, that God is in us and has empowered us. And like we talk about when we read the Great Commission, that his spirit is with us even to the end of the age. That's why we can do it when we abide and rest in him. That's why we can do it. But he has given to us broken shards of glass like when we talk about with the stained glass that have no real meaning. In fact, most of us in this room, if we are not in Christ, it's not that we're just somewhat missing the mark and not obeying and not doing good things. It's that we're in direct opposition to the Father, trespassing, going the opposite way. That's why at the tail end of verse 19 there, he says, not counting their trespasses against them. And the truth of the matter is that if we are in Christ, we still do this, don't we? We still know what it is right to do, what we saw in James 4, 17, and yet we don't do it. It's this already but not yet, that Christ has saved us and is not already. He's in this process of sanctifying us. But despite all of that, God in his sovereign will and power, perfect plan, chooses to use us, us as broken individuals, us as sinful human beings, us that have as college students predominantly in this room, maybe some young families, he's using us to go outside these four walls and to change this county, to change your family, to change this entire atmosphere. What we just saying, please, Lord, it is up to you and it's by your power that we can only do this. He is using us 
And the reason that so many of us get caught in this cultural Christianity where we feel like it's okay to just come into church and just sit or just to talk about God is because no one is going to die for coming into this building on a Sunday. I am not a good enough teacher. We're not good enough leaders for people to lay down their lives for just this. This cannot be the essence of the gospel. This cannot be the sole purpose of why Christ came. It's not. We have so missed the mark that Christ has called us into this, that he is sending us, that he has sent us his son, and he has sent us each other, and he is building us up into a family for his namesake. This is that message of reconciliation. So the question you have to ask yourself is, if you're in Christ in this room this morning, is who is that one person that was brave enough that was afraid of the social awkwardness to talk to you about Jesus, to talk to you about your sin, who was brave enough to say that there is a holy, perfect God that wants to reconcile with you, that is not just an angry, wrathful God. Yes, that is part of his character towards sin. Wrath is God's love towards his family, towards his sons and daughters because of sin. He hates it. Who is that person the Spirit's bringing to your mind right now? I know he is. The Lord has put you in specific places for a specific reason. Maybe it's someone you sit beside in class. Maybe it's someone you carpool with. Maybe it's someone you walk beside on front campus. Maybe it's someone that you teach as a teacher. Maybe it's someone that you work with. Who is that person that God is asking you to be a minister of reconciliation to? Because the truth of the matter is we are sent ones. That's why in John 17, 18, so I think Tristan will have this verse for you to put up on the screen. Uh, Jesus here, this is called the high priestly prayer. So right before he's gone, he's about to go to the cross to be crucified for the sins of his church. He says this, he's not praying for himself. This is that model we've got to get into our hearts. This is not about us, that it is about others. Jesus prays this, and he's speaking to the Father and saying this, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came for you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 18, uh, as we continue to go on later, I know we won't have it up there. It's my fault, Tristan. I gave you the wrong verse there. He says, as I have sent, as I have been sent by the Father, so I am sending them. So for we as disciples of Christ, if we're in Christ, are being sent. There's no ands or ifs or ors about it. That's why when Paul is wrapping up this chunk of text, this is why he concludes by saying this. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We don't stay here. What do ambassadors do? They represent the kingdom or a country they're from, right? But they, they don't stay in that country. They go. So if we are truly ambassadors for Christ, if Christ has saved us, I'm just convicted again this week from spending some time with our interns. If we're spending more time here than we're spending on time on mission, what are we doing? We are not truly living the gospel that Christ has given to us. 
So Paul's plea and our plea as a leadership team to ourselves first and then to us if we're in Christ is, is to be reconciled to God. So that the way that Paul used that has dual meaning. The being reconciled is, you remember he's writing this to the church at Corinth. So he's writing it to Christians. He's saying be reconciled to God. He is saying if you are not living this life of mission, if you're getting caught up in backbiting and spending more time in the church than advancing and multiplying disciples, be reconciled to God. Use this time to chew on and think and say, why am I not living on mission? And plead that the Lord would give you that heart because it can't be manufactured. But on the other side of that as well, is if you're in this room and you, you're like, great, all of this is great. This is what the church should be doing. Uh, what does this have to do with me? Uh, it has everything to do with you because ultimately what we're talking about is living on mission for your sake. So our plea is that you would be reconciled to God in a different light. That if you have heard this gospel, that salvation has nothing to do with yourself, has nothing to do with a checklist of things that you can do, but on that day of judgment, that you would stand before a holy God, and the only thing that's going to bring you into eternity with him, which should be your ultimate goal, is pleading the blood of the cross, of what Jesus did for you. In your glad rebellion against him, Jesus came in, and if he's decided to save you, what he is going to do is pour out his blood as he did on the cross to save you. And that fact that you're even in this room this morning is evidence that God is wooing you to himself. And if God desires to woo you to himself, he's going to be successful in that. So be reconciled to God as our plea. Don't harden your heart. If the Lord is speaking, ask him to open your eyes. Ask him to give you a heart to want to even accept this. Ask him to give you the faith. So for us as the Branch Church, as we wrap up this sermon series of who we are, um, the first step, if we can do anything, is just to dream what this would look like. If you guys were to come alongside of us and join in this mission that the Lord wants for us, imagine how Baldwin County would change. Imagine maybe how your family would change if you're the only Christ follower in your family. So it's not solely about salvation. Yes, that's the end mean for us of living on mission, but imagine the social ramifications. Imagine if foster care was not a need in Milledgeville because as we uh, grow as the church and as families come along that we live on mission so much so that we adopt every child in foster care or we take care of every child in foster care. Imagine what it would look like if we took the call of living on mission so importantly that when we see someone that's walking through downtown that's homeless, that's digging out of a trash can for food, that we wouldn't just simply walk by, but we would live on mission and go and buy them food. What would it look like if we did this as an entire body? Imagine individually lives we could change, but as the 100 or 150 people the Lord gathers as the branch church, what if we all did this? What if hunger and homelessness was eradicated in Baldwin County because of the gospel for Christ and that those people are brought into the family? That's what we long to see. That's why we put all of our stock as the church and missional communities. You guys haven't been able to experience them yet. Uh, we're launching them, like we said, in two weeks. 
So your first step, if you're in the body of Christ and you're wanting to know, okay, Kyle, I see what the Lord's saying, that people matter, so I've got to obey that call to live on mission. How do I do that? Missional communities are that first step for you. Because as we launch and we grow, we'll have great community together and love one another. But that sole purpose, it's in the word missional community. So on the connection table as you walk out, sign up for those missional communities. That is where you're going to have discipleship and life change happen. And if you're not in Christ, we implore you to take this time as your first step just to ponder on what these thoughts of the cross and what Jesus mean to you. Because every week at the branch, we end the same way. The only reason why we can go and live on mission is because Christ first lived on mission for us. So he came taking our sins upon himself on the cross and his body was broken so when we take that bread and we break that bread symbolically remembering so maybe if this living on mission has become numb to you or maybe even communion has become something numb to you remember that his body was broken because he lived on mission first and as his blood was poured out on the cross for his church remember as we dip that bread into the juice, that, that his blood was poured out because he lived on mission and seeking to reconcile. So we're to do the same. If you're not yet part of the body of Christ, we'd ask, because those symbols don't yet mean anything to you, if you're still chewing on that and what those mean, uh, we'd ask you to refrain from taking communion at this time, instead using the time to reflect and ask the Lord to show you uh, how those symbols apply to you. But if you're also part of the body of Christ in here this morning, um, we said this the past couple weeks, and you have sin, you have angst, uh, you have turmoil in your heart against another brother and sister in Christ, uh, that you would use this time to go to them and reconcile before taking communion. Um, just reading in Corinthians this week, also read that in, uh, with the Lord's Supper, if you have unrepentant sin in your heart as well, so that means if the Lord has been convicting you to live on mission and you know you haven't been doing it, uh, I would pray that you would use this time as well to reflect and ask the Lord to birth in you that desire, reconcile with him, and then partake. So we're going to pray. The girls will come back up and we'll partake in communion and continue in worship of him. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're the only reason that we can be here. The only reason that we're breathing right now is because of you. God, if we're in this room and we knew what we were signing up for this morning as we came in here to hear about you, it's because someone first lived on mission for us. So Father, I just pray that you would stir in our hearts as your church that this wouldn't just be something that we do, but it's who we are. We are your sent ones. We are your ambassadors. We are your ministers of reconciliation. That we wouldn't try to do this alone, but we would do this in the context of community because that's where you placed us. So Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for equipping us and giving us every need that we have to go and do this. I'm just reminded of, of Acts where 
the Ethiopian eunuch was on the road to Damascus and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, having no clue what he's reading. And that you send Philip, one of your lesser known disciples, to just explain your gospel to him. God, would that, would it be what it looks like for us as we're about our everyday life and people are longing to hear life-giving message of your work on the cross that we wouldn't be afraid, but we would boldly step forward and share what you've given to us. It's all for your glory, Jesus. It's all for your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, communion's open and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you.